Small businesses have the opportunity to learn from professionals and from each other. And bringing those perspectives together is an important part of Inside the Vault. Enterprise Bank's new podcast series. Welcome to Inside the Vault. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to tell you a little bit about A Home for a Cause. A Home for a Cause is a new charitable organization that's affiliated with Howard Hanna, Kuzneski, and Lockhart. The concept around Home for a Cause is for individuals to be able to donate residential property that's in need of rehabilitation to this new charitable organization, who will then use funding from donors as well as the talents of the local community to assist them in rehabbing and placing that property on the market, thereby improving homeownership prospects for the local community and providing the net sale proceeds to a beneficiary charitable organization, in this case, the Visiting Nurses Association of Indiana County. If you're interested in learning more about A Home for a Cause or in donating time or money to this important initiative, please visit ahomeforacause.org or you're able to find A Home for a Cause on all of your popular social media platforms. Welcome back to Inside the Vault. In today's episode, which we teased a little bit in our last episode regarding employment trends during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to talk about how some of those trends in employment, uh, as well as some other factors, are going to affect commercial real estate or or have affected commercial real estate and will uh, going forward. Here with me today, uh, again from our last episode, but in a different capacity this time, is is Doug Locker, who, in addition to his ownership of uh, several family-owned uh, franchise restaurants, is also the owner of Enterprise Real Estate Advisors, which is a commercial brokerage affiliated with Enterprise Bank and with locations in both Indiana, PA, and here in Allison Park. Uh, Along with Doug, happy to have Bill Murtha from Valbridge Property Advisors here with us. Bill is kind of our go-to commercial real estate appraiser for the bank and has 45 years of experience in commercial real estate and in the uh, appraising of properties of different types. So what we're gonna talk about today is, you know, what has happened in the commercial real estate market in the last little over 12 months since the pandemic began. But more importantly, with the expertise of these two gentlemen, how they feel that that landscape may look going forward. So let's let's start with kind of a theme that um, we've covered in the last several episodes of Inside the Vault, which is, you know, from a business perspective, there's been winners and losers associated with the pandemic. And I think that's probably a similar scenario in commercial real estate, where certain property types uh, or certain tenant types have gotten stronger or improved because of the dynamics related to COVID. And obviously, Others have been, you know, adversely affected. So, so Bill, I want to kind of start with you because you see all different property types in the appraisal business. What, who do you see as kind of the winners and losers in terms of, of commercial real estate and property types right now? First, I, Dave, thank you for, for inviting me here today. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Doug. But uh, you're, you're correct. There's no business, I believe, that has had not had some adverse effect from COVID-19. But some, some property types have suffered more than others. And it's probably relevant to, to note that hotels, hospitality industry, they were very hard hit. Um, they're looking at maybe two to three year recovery periods to get back up to stabilized occupancies. Uh, we expect that as the uh, vaccine program goes along that that should, we believe it's already starting to occur now. Uh, 
Other properties that have been hurt, retail. Uh, retail's been damaged. Um, everyone's buying on Amazon, apparently, and uh, so you have issues with there. Even health care was negatively affected. Uh, That's surprising, actually. Patients couldn't go to see their doctors. Uh, they had to do Zoom meetings. Uh, they were only doing emergency surgeries, things of that nature. So even those properties were, were hurt. Um, some of the ones that uh, weren't damaged as bad, quick service restaurants. If anyone has been around and tried to, to go into a Chick-fil-A, <laughs> you, you'll see that I think they're probably doing very well during the pandemic. Another sector that in retail that actually is doing well is the, uh, the uh, net leased properties such as Dollar Generals. Um, they've been open during the pandemic. Uh, they have even seen decreases in the overall cap rates that people were buying them at for, you know, because they, they were looked at like a bond issue. And as, as, as you have 15 year leases on these properties, they're very uh, uh, alternative uh, investment for people. So they're doing very well. Shopping centers with supermarkets, essential service, those properties have been have been performing. We, we don't know how long some of these will take to recover, but, and we don't have a lot of data yet on what damage may have been done to some of these properties, but we, we expect, as in the last turndown in 2008, that it will take some time before we actually see effects from sales. But we know there are things in trends that have, at this point, that have been negative, not for everyone, but for a lot. So Bill's just referencing sales volume. Um, you know, what are you seeing from the brokerage side in terms of, or are you not seeing it yet? The, you know, these, these let's say, hotter property types, is the sales volume increasing or decreasing for those? Or? Um, I mean, there's a, a degree of hesitancy in the market depending on the property type, as Bill appropriately pointed out. I mean, some of the hospitality properties, hotels, things of that sort, uh, let's call it full service restaurants and certain types of retailers. Uh, I'm going to say still a fear of the unknown. So there's not a lot of activity both on the sales side or uh, leasing side in either of those. Other properties, as again, Bill mentioned, uh, your uh, Dollar General and those types of properties, because of their investment value, are moving as well, if not better than normal. So as with any economic event, if some properties are able to weather this type of thing better than others, so it's kind of a mixed bag overall. Playing off of Doug's comment that sales activity has not yet uh, really shown itself in terms of popularity of certain property types that have done well during the pandemic, I, I want to kick this back to you, Bill. That obviously makes your job as an appraiser much, much more difficult. What have you all had to do from an appraisal perspective in light of, let's say, a lack of sales comps, you know, certain uh, properties being restricted or closed down due to pandemic-related circumstances? What have you guys had to do differently in terms of how you approach uh, valuation of properties? Well, Dave, any time there is uncertainty in the market, either up or down, it becomes much more difficult to try to, uh, to value properties because you're lacking the data immediately as to what influence, the, uh, the inf what influence it may have had. But uh, initially, as in the last decline in 2008, uh, there is empirical data available. And, and I think that we've mentioned that some of that already. We do know from studies that uh, businesses have declined, such as hotels. We know that office vacancies are up. Uh, we know that industrial properties, uh, it's been told to me that anything with a garage is hot. Because of that Amazon concept you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, definitely. That's, that's been a factor. So what we look for 
first is like empirical data. Should vacancy rates be higher in, in, in the appraisal? Should we use a slightly higher overall cap rate when we're doing an income-producing property? These are all things that help us make a decision as to where we should be with, with the analysis. Uh, we do know, we, have, we do have in data that uh, from national sources th that uh, indicates where cap rates are headed, either up or down. We do have some sales. It's not that it's a desert out there, but we do have some sales that indicate things. So that's how we would look at it. Should there be a short-term adjustment because you're losing rent? Should it be a long-term adjustment because changes in attitudes or conditions? Uh, if you're working at home, are you going to go back? Are you going to go back to the office? Will your, will your employer consider downsizing their, their office space at the end of the pandemic? So these are things that have yet to be determined, but uh, there, are, there is evidence out there, empirical evidence, that suggests that certain property types will be damaged and others probably won't. Along those lines, Doug, you as a, as a, a commercial broker, what, if anything, are you advising your clients to expect in terms of valuation of their properties in light of what Bill said? I mean, I have been conveying the idea that there's uncertainty. I mean, for those property owners that have income producing properties uh, of a commercial nature, the advice has been it's much easier to retain a tenant uh, than it is to replace one in this type of environment. And so. Uh, I found both landlords and tenants during this pandemic, for the most part, to be working together, understanding they're both being negatively impacted. Such things as rental deferrals for two, three, four months, extending the lease of an equal period of time, so that at the end of the day, the revenue stream... It's still the same. You know, still the same. It's a pause. Right. There's been a lot of subleasing going on, especially in office space. Uh, companies have, or larger tenants have, seem to have concluded they have much more space than they need with the work at home becoming much more prevalent. So there's subletting going on, which is, is having an impact, albeit at this point, I would hope short term, on office rentals and rental rates. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously vacancy is showing itself in those types of properties as some tenants' leases for their benefit were expiring and they've chose you know, to consolidate and not renew. Yeah. Um, I, my take as a, as a lender on this, and, and, and either of you, you know, uh, uh, speak up if you feel differently, but the commercial real estate aspect or impact of the pandemic is one of those things that I think is going to take a relatively long period of time to figure out. Because I look at, and if I look at downtown Pittsburgh and I look at all these office buildings, You've got some major companies with lots of square footage. Well, from what I see, and you guys, again, correct me if I'm wrong, you, most of that, that large square footage office lease environment is, you know, at least five years, if not a 10-year leasing commitment. Those may not r roll off here, with have rolled off in the last year or in the next 12 months, but at some point they will. And at some point the employers have to be looking at, okay, we don't need all this space anymore. So that's my concern that commercial real estate could be in for a rude awakening when large leases that you know haven't need to be adjusted because they're strong Fortune 500 companies that are the the um, the tenants that that, that impact's going to come over the next several years, not just all this year or next year. How do you feel about that? I think you're correct, Dave. I, I think it will take some time because. As you mentioned, there are leases in place that that, uh, land, that, that landlords are going to try to enforce, 
And but the end at the end result is yes. After the end of their three, five, or ten year term, what is the philosophy of that particular company? You know, are they finding out that people work better at home? They saving travel costs, or do they feel that their employees need to be in the office environment? And I think you probably talk to different people, you're going to find that maybe there's 50-50 split on that. I know some companies that say we're not renewing. I know other companies that say you're due back on this date. We expect you in the office. So. It's going to be interesting to see what actually occurs. Well, the, the other dynamic I heard is even though they may not need space for as many people, even with a smaller number of people with distancing in mind for future events like this, they may still need larger square footages, even for less people, to maintain better social distancing and that type of thing. Yeah, I think the density of employees right. in, in a space is, is likely to reduce... Uh, as the, the, the question is how those two factors against how they two balance out. And again, I'll go back to my point. Uh, most, especially if, you, if tenant is in a long term, longer term lease, and, and with the landlord, easier to retain that tenant. So I've seen many landlords restructure leases, understanding that the density is going down. Therefore, the productivity of the space for that tenant is going down as well. Other than what can be mitigated by remote working, so they recognize that and are adjusting the lease terms to make sure that tenant stays for the full term of the contract. Bill, you mentioned cap rates a little bit in um, the appraisal approach. And for those that aren't familiar, um, a cap rate is basically taking the income stream from a property and um, translating that into basically value uh, from an appraisal perspective. And we have a kind of a very unique circumstance right now in that we are in a very low interest rate environment which is a component of the cap rate calculation, but yet we have all this risk in the marketplace, particularly with different industry or property types. So what's happening in the, with regard to cap rates right well, now? The, the cap rate uh, segment uh, in the appraisal, we look at not only inter the interest rate environment, because that is definitely one of the things that, that influences the cap rate that's selected. Uh, the lower the cap rate, the higher the value on your property. The higher the cap rate, the opposite occurs. So it is a very significant part of, a, of an appraisal. And I think when, you, when we look at the cap rates, we, all, we do what's called a band of investment, which considers the interest rates. But we also look to the market to see what people have been willing to pay for properties, and we extract an overall rate from the sale data and the net income. Well, if there, if there are less sales, then you have less to draw upon. But again, you, we, we look at other things. We look to ser investor surveys. We, we look to the market, such uh, sources such as the Boulder Group, uh, which is a real estate website that, that does a lot with the net lease market and other property types. We look at what their surveys say, where the trends, are they going up or are they going down? Um, as I mentioned earlier, some of the bond-type properties like the Dollar Generals, the Family Dollars, anything that's triple net credit rated, because of the lower interest rates, you can't get a return from, the, from a bank. Right. Investors are moving into net lease market. So those cap rates lately have been declining. On the other hand, there are sources out there that say if you have an office building, even though the interest rates are low, there's a lot more risk in owning an office building. So those cap rates have been going up. Uh, some of the other property types, we're, we're still saying multifamily, we have an... Uh, I think that those cap rates are still somewhat on the low side, but it remains to see how many people, how many uh, apartment buildings will have occur, occur, 
occurred in rent loss, things of that nature. So it also depends on your location. If, you look, if you're looking at national surveys, don't always believe that they apply to the Pittsburgh market. We're a secondary market. We're not New York. We're not Los Angeles. So if you're looking at a survey and it says something in an office is kept at this rate, it may not apply exactly to Pittsburgh. So you're looking at also length of term of lease, strength of tenants. There's a lot of factors that go into selecting an overall rate other than just interest rate. So I'm guessing with regard to uh, you know, credit tenants versus non-credit, there's, there's obviously a, a wide, wider dichotomy in the cap rates now because look at the stock market. Publicly traded companies are flush with cash for whatever reason. <laughs> I can't explain. But they local local um, tenants may not have that credit worthiness and just drives more risk into the system. Yeah, I mean, I think to Bill's point, uh, there's been uh, an increase of investors going into safe real estate yeah. investments. Uh, and shying away from those with higher risk, such as the office buildings or office complexes. I do believe there's a sense that with the vaccines getting out there and the uh, economic conditions likely to approve, that uh, there may be some more aggressive investors going after some of the higher risk properties again, perhaps bringing those cap rates a little closer together. I used the example of, of downtown Pittsburgh and you know all the uh, large floor plate office towers and buildings down there, but you know not just that that area is is dense with with those kinds of tenants, but I'm also hearing that the central business districts, you know, the urban core markets in uh, different parts of the country, and granted, Pittsburgh is not, you know, a, what's a tier one metropolitan area, but I'm also hearing that there's some at least interest, if not, you know, planned migration of certain businesses, particularly in the office market, out of a, of a more dense urban setting and into either a suburban or in some cases a, a rural market. So Doug, being that one of your primary market areas is kind of, let's say suburban or more rural in nature, have you seen any of that yet? Um, we haven't seen it turn into action. Um, the number of inquiries of companies of various sizes and various industries looking to uh, explore locations outside of the central business districts, Pittsburgh itself, is certainly noticeably up, but the actions have yet to be follow have followed soon. Yeah. So I think there's a, uh, a recognition that might be wise to uh, get out of higher density areas where in theory the pandemic has shown to be more uh, pervasive uh, into more rural areas where it's less pervasive. Right. Ten rents also tend to be lower. Uh, property prices or values tend to be lower. So there's some business advantages to do it if it doesn't tremendously and adversely affect your workforce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bill, you're looking at comps all the time. Is there the, is there the supply though outside of the central business district of those types of properties locally? Again, I, I don't know that we've seen, with the work that I've done, I'm not seeing anything in particular like that. Yeah. And I also wonder, Dave, about how long this will occur because people have a tendency to forget. Good I mean, point. Very good point. I mean, if you're in a flood zone and you flood, you, you remember that it's flooded there for maybe three to five years. And after that, if everybody comes back, they forget that it was a flood area. So I'm wondering about how long this pandemic crisis will actually influence these trends. Will, if people move out, will they then regret that they're not in the center of things where they could walk to their restaurants or to their gym. Um, it may not, it may have a, an occurrence of for, for a shorter period of time than, than we actually believe. So I, I'm waiting to see how that pans out. Hey, let's localize this for a second. So, I mean, you, you guys are both familiar with, you know, the Pittsburgh market, obviously. Uh, 
I mean, do we are we going to see some negative impacts in certain areas of the city or certain neighborhoods, like some of the really hot places in the last decade, or Lawrenceville, and um, most recently East Liberty, and in kind of the the eastern portion of the city? Do you see any particular areas that it might be in in more jeopardy than another? I if I this happens. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm saying. I, I don't know about this point. I I did hear there was an article not too long ago that had indicated that uh, residential sales in Lawrenceville had slowed. Not that they had stopped, but that th they had slowed, that some people were considering the density of that neighborhood. But uh, in other areas, uh, no. I think that, uh, and Doug could speak to this, residential activity right now is very high. That's kind of the dichotomy, too. I mean, yes. obviously, homes, home sales are through the roof right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say it in the Pittsburgh market right now, you could consider many areas of, of the metropolitan area as being, you know, hot real estate markets for single family residential. Commercial, again, it's spotty depending on industry type, but I believe the commercial markets can be a little more patient. I mean, there's still a wait and see type attitude. There will be some that jump too quickly to make a move into a more suburban or rural market, but I think most are taking a wait and see. To Bill's point, memories are short. If we're sitting here two years from now and this pandemic is a thing of the past, the market shifts are going to probably be noticeably less. So I, want, I would like now to kind of talk about, and we've been talking a lot about the office environment, and obviously we're drawing the correlation between what's happened with work from home, um, social distancing, um, and how that may impact kind of building design in, in the office environment. And, and you know, I guess the real key here is the balance between uh, how many people need to be in a particular office space versus what square footage you need to, let's say, um, mitigate the risk of a, another pandemic in the future like we've dealt with. So uh, along those lines, how, do you guys feel this is kind of just a, a temporary um, shift in in how you know let's say the office environment will look or, or is it more permanent considering one of the comments we just we just all agreed on is people have short memories well I think overall the the shift is going to be there's going to be a, a smaller component of the permanent shift I mean I think everybody's knee-jerk reaction after the pandemic really got full-blown was this was going to be a huge and fundamental down to the foundations change mm -hmm. in the office market no doubt about it, it has certainly rocked the market, you know, during the height of the pandemic. I mentioned before I felt most uh, office or commercial type tenants uh, certainly were probably scared early, but a sense of reality has set in and they're taking their time. They're being patient and watching what's happening, not only with their own workforce, with their competitors, availability of space, what landlords uh, are willing to work with them and taking a long-term approach. I do think there'll be more spacing, so density within a given office will be less to accommodate social distancing and other best practices of any pandemic mm -hmm. uh, and general health as a whole. I think those trends are here and they're here to stay. Density will go down. There may be a little bit of urban flight, uh, but I don't expect any of these things are going to be as extreme as many thought you know, in the early days of the pandemic. Okay. And then from an appraisal perspective, Bill, is those let's say those densities change, does, does, does that dynamic have an effect on, you know, prices per square foot or uh, income that can be derived out of certain square footage? Well, I, I think for, 
just thinking about what you said now, yeah. no, if densities do change, if typical ratio right now for an office building is either one to 200 square feet or one to 250 square feet. So if you increase those, uh, if you if you do increase those sizes, then that will influence how many employees you can put in that building. I'm sure that companies will say, you know, that will have an influence on what they'd be willing to pay. It has an influence on parking ratios, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they are, if they go up higher, it might actually help properties that have limited parking because there's less employees in, in a certain building. So it, it could have offsetting effects in some ways. Um, I, from our perspective, from an appraisal standpoint, we're not trying to make two radical, very radical decisions at this time. We're maybe make small adjustments for rent loss or a small adjustment in an overall rate. Uh, how that will continue in the future, we'll just have to wait and see. And putting your other hat on, Doug, obviously we've been talking a lot about how the office environment has, it has or will change. I'm assuming there's similar structural changes in how the restaurant, particularly casual restaurants, are going to operate, correct? Yeah, very similarly. I mean, the dine-in businesses were hurt you know, very yeah. significantly. I do believe there's a skepticism that the public's going to come back to wanting to dine in densities that have been there in the past. Um, so I see uh, much more uh, spacing within the dining business. You'll see many more uh, outdoor dining facilities created, and those restaurants uh, and bars that can will get much heavier into the carryout delivery. And everybody's going to need site. a drive-through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yes. A <laughs> Chick Fil A has taught us that. They have. Yes. <laughs> so look for look for quick service restaurants with huge queuing lines for their drive-throughs. There you go. Yes, definitely. Well, gentlemen, I, I thank you very much for your insight and perspectives here. Uh, and I guess the real message is a lot of this is kind of a wait and see with regard to how uh, the ultimate impact, what the ultimate impacts are going to be in the real estate market. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Yep. Thanks, Dave. As we conclude this week's episode of Inside the Vault, which is the fourth uh, in this new podcast series, you've heard about the interplay between the pandemic-related impacts on the business community, employment and labor, and now on commercial real estate. So we're going to continue along the lines of the uh, pandemic-related influences on the small business community in next episode. For those of you that have been unable to view or listen to any of the initial three episodes, let me give you a quick recap. In episode one, we met with Justin Severino, owner of several restaurants in the Pittsburgh area, to talk about the impact on his particular uh, industry, the restaurant business, which has been probably among the most severely impacted by the the current pandemic. In our second episode, we kind of niched that a little further and talked about the beer business uh, and interviewed uh, the owners of Bennett Keg Brewery in Mars to talk about how basically alcohol sales have been affected uh, during the pandemic. And then in last week's episode, which was episode three, we dove into, with Chuck Lai and Doug Lockard, uh, the impacts on uh, employment in certain industries that the COVID-19 pandemic has had. And finally, we concluded today with a discussion of commercial real estate, both from a sales perspective and an appraisal perspective. So please join us going forward uh, as we continue along the line of the pandemic's impacts on small business in different ways. 
Thank you very much for your interest in today's episode of Inside the Vault. Please be sure to follow us on all of your streaming, social media, and podcast platforms. And if you have any specific questions or topics you would like us to cover, please feel free to email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com.